0: He's told of a man who bought a dog that was trained specifically to hunt bear. So wherever this man was out, it was legal to hunt bear, bear with dogs. So he trained the dog, and it was trained well, and they went out on their first expedition to hunt a bear. And so they're out, and soon the dog caught the trail. I mean, it's right off. I mean, just doing exactly what it was supposed to do, what it was designed to do. Its purpose was to hunt bears. So it caught the scent, and it's, it's on the trail. And as it's going and, 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 and trailing this bear, it runs across a deer track that ran across the bear track. And as soon as it hit that deer track, that dog stopped and went after the deer, and so as his dog's chasing down the deer and the hunter's going, I'm, we're here looking for, for, for bears, not deer. It ran across a rabbit track. So when it hit the rabbit track, the dog stopped, smelled and then he took off after the rabbit. And the guy scratching his head saying, I've trained this dog to hunt bears. That's his purpose is to hunt bears. Well, not long after the rabbit, the dog ran across a mouse trail. And at the end, here's this guy who has his dog trained for the purpose of hunting bears, finds his dog digging at a mouse hole on the ground. Totally missed its purpose. Its existence was trained to hunt bears. Its original intention, it had completely missed. We are not much different as humanity. We have lost our purpose. Our original intention for existing And that was to love God and enjoy Him forever. Now our purpose is now loving ourselves and getting what we can out of this life. We have forgotten the purpose of why we were created and that is to love God forever and enjoy Him for all time. The series, it wasn't a series of events that bent us, is what happened in the Garden of Eden. We know the story, that's what bent humanity. Bent us to our will, not His will, to our desires no longer His desires. So that fall ruined us, put us in a state of depravity, a state that needs to be rescued from this position. We have lost our original intent, our original purpose for existence. We have forgotten. Here in the text today, we're going to see in chapter 22 of Matthew that God has a claim on people's lives and he deserves our all. And you're saying, well, wait a second. My, head, my, my handout says paying taxes, What's that have anything to do with paying taxes? Wait with me now. Wait with me. Some of you don't get ahead of me. You may not be going where I, where I am going. So just, he has a claim on our lives and he deserves our all. The question for us, and it's always difficult, is you and I as believers are living in two Kingdoms. We are kingdom, we are citizens of heaven and we're the citizens of whatever kingdom we live on this earth. We live in America, some people live in France, some people live in Germany, they live under those kingdoms. So as Christians, how do we live with dual citizenship? How do we behave in the two spheres that we're living in, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven? How do we manage that? Jesus is gonna talk about that today as well. So this is probably taking place on Tuesday, of the crucifixion week, his passion week. So we had the royal entry, the triumphal entry that we saw last week take place six days before the Passover. Now we have probably Tuesday of the passion week taking place in the temple area, this discussion right here. So let me start reading in verse number 15 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Open your Bibles, follow along with me, or turn on your device, whichever whichever the case may be. Let's start reading in verse number 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. So we're not left into the motive. We see their motive. We see what they're trying to do. And they sent their disciples to him. So the Pharisees didn't even go themselves. They sent their followers, their disciples to Jesus, along with the Herodians. Now they're not mentioned often in the Bible. We'll talk about the Herodians in just a second. Saying, so the disciples of the Pharisees, the Herodians come to Jesus saying, and listen to this flattery. They believe none of these words. Teacher, we know that you are true. You can hear the sarcasm in their voice and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question they came to him. And we know at the very beginning, their, their intention was to somehow trap him In the words, his words. They couldn't trap him with his lifestyle because he was pure, but they tried to trap him with his words, put him in a situation where whichever way he answered, it would be negative, either to one group or the other. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, having sent their disciples, the religious leaders understood clearly that the parable of the tenants, which is told in chapters 21 prior to this, the parable of the tenants was directed directly at them. They saw that they under, in fact, Luke chapter 20, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, the parable of the tenants. But they feared the people, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governors. So he had told this parable of the tenants, and they said, Oh, he's talking about us. So we need to know, what is the parable of the tenants? Parable of the tenants is simply this. There's a landowner and there's people that are managing his land. The landowner sends servants to see how his land is doing and the managers of the land beat the servants. Then the landowner sends his son and the the people that are managing the other person's land said, oh, we recognize this is the son, let's kill him, he's the heir and then we'll get everything. In other words, the religious leaders are supposed to shepherd God's people in the truth of God and in the word of God. And instead, all they were doing was heaping power and prestige upon themselves. They didn't care about God. They had lost their heart weren't tuned to him. So the parable, they knew exactly he's talking about us is what they said. We were the ones that not responding correctly to God. Our hearts are far from him, but they can't see that. The religious leaders did not like to be humiliated before the crowds. They were bent on destroying him. They wanted to kill him. They didn't want to say, let's sideline the guy. Let's let him talk. Let's, 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 let's arrest him. No, let's kill him. Let's take him out. Uh, Mark chapter three, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. There they are again, against him, how to destroy him. So they recognize he's talking about them, that their hearts are not in line with God, that they're doing their own thing, that they have forgotten the reason why they're even created. Their hearts are not God's. And they're mad because he's calling them out and they want to take him out. So they want to trap him to see if someone else can take him out. So the purpose of the Pharisees here is clearly to entrap Jesus. That's all they want. In fact, we're told their motive right up front. That's all they want to do. Entrap him with his words. See, they can't get him with his lifestyle but they can try to get in with his words. That's what they're trying to do. Now, who are these Herodians? The Herodians were royalists who supported the family of Herod and had a vested interest in maintaining peace and the status quo. They were purely a political party. They were not a a theological party at all, not a religious party at all, purely political. See, the Pharisees understandably resented having having to pay taxes to Rome. We understand that. Because it was an infringement upon Jewish law. So they resented that. I understand that. But the Herodians were perfectly fine paying taxes to Rome. They had no problem with that. They'd already made their peace with Rome. They're okay with Rome. They don't mind an overlord over them. So the Pharisees or religious don't like Rome the Herodians who are political and they love Rome, they're on two opposite sides. But we have that familiar saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's what's going on here. Likely, the Pharisees and the Herodians would never get together to do anything because they're on opposite sides. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Robert Utley wrote, the Herods were an idiomene, that is from the family of Edom, rulers starting with Herod the Great. At his death, several of his sons divided his kingdom. All the Herods were supporters of the Roman government. Their followers wanted to keep the political status quo. They preferred the rule of the Herods to direct Roman rule. And this group was strictly political. They did not officially identify with the theology of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Two different parties, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They get together to entrap Jesus. Herodians, they made their peace with Rome already. They don't mind the occupying force of Rome. They're good with it. They're all right with it. So they come and they start flattering Jesus. They don't believe a word that they're saying to him. It's purely flatter. Hopefully to get him to drop his guard so that he'll say something that can catch him at his words. That's the goal right here. They're thinking if Jesus is no respecter of wealth, of position or power or a person, he might speak critically of the emperor's taxation on the Jews. Yeah, then we'd have him. We'd have him. If he spoke critically about taxation, then Rome would come and get him. If he spoke for taxation, then the Jews would say, what's wrong with you? It's like a no-win situation here. In fact, the question has a no-win situation. It seems like he's going to lose. Either way, he answers the question. It's a loss. Either way, he's going to offend one side or the other. It seems to be a no-win situation. No clear-cut answer to this. Jesus isn't a normal teacher, He's going to give an answer. In fact, we'll see it here in just a second. But what is this tax that he's concerned about? What is this? It was a head, it was a poll tax. It was a head tax. It was actually a head tax on every male, uh, 14 to 65 years of age, every female, 12 to 65 years. It's an annual tax once a year. It was a denarius, which is about the average worker's salary for one day of work. Actually, I wouldn't really have a problem if the government just charged me one day of my work for taxes that's really not that bad. Okay. But, 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 but there's a whole bunch of other taxes on top of that. That's just a poll tax. When they sold, you know, Levi was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans collecting Roman taxes. So it wasn't just a poll tax. There's other taxes that are involved here. But this one is the poll tax that we're talking about right here. No matter what side Jesus takes, other group is going to be upset. So I think that they've got him. They've trapped him now. But the real issue here is not about paying taxes. That's not what he's talking about. Really, thats it's a, it's a springboard for him to talk about what he wants to say to them, what they really need to hear. It's not really about paying taxes at all. Look at verse number 18. Look how he answers this. So uh, immediately we're thinking taxes to Caesar. That's what we're focused on. But that's not what this text is about. But Jesus, aware of their malice, I mean, evil intent and said, why put me to the test? You hypocrites, show me the coin for the tax. So he's asking and they brought him a a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled at it. Even his enemies marveled at, what an answer. We didn't expect, good job, way to go. We didn't expect that. They marveled. They, even their enemies, he mar- they marveled at what, he, at what he did and they left him and went away. There's nothing else they could say here. So the question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question. Jesus answers it, but he doesn't answer it concerning truly taxes. That's not what he's talking about. He calls them hypocrites, their malice, their evil intent. All chapter 23, we see these woe to the Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he continues on in chapter 23, this idea of being hypocritical. And this idea of paying the poll tax to Rome is the most obvious sign of submission to Rome, a a foreign government. This poll tax every year you have to pay. Well, he says, listen, if the denarius is the emperor's, if it's his, then let him have it. If it's his, let him have it. In fact, he uses the word render, the word render. The word is used describing payment in return for something. Keep that in mind. Render means payment in return for something. That which is rightfully due. That which is rightfully due. So obviously the Jews did not like to pay imperial taxes because the money would go directly to Caesar's treasury where some of it went to support pagan temples and the lifestyle of the elite of the Romans. So understandably, you don't like where your tax money is going. That makes sense. And not only that, the Jews understood double taxation. The Romans were taxing them and there are taxes in their own nation, a double taxation. But again, this text is not primarily about paying taxes. The tax question is the springboard for Jesus to talk about something much more important than paying taxes. But since taxes, let me briefly talk about taxes for just a second. Please keep all of the items like tomatoes and things like that in their seats and don't throw anything up. No, I think you'll get it. Taxes. Do you know a way that you don't have to pay taxes? Everyone's ears are listening. <laughs> you do not have to pay taxes if you live in the state of nature. What's that? State of nature is a state where there is no government over you. State of nature. Well, let's just say, hypothetically, I'm rich enough to buy an island in international waters. Okay? I own the island. There is no government on that island. Okay? So I'm living in a state of nature on the island. Great. No taxes. Wonderful. The problem is when my out barn burns down, I can't call the fire department because I'm the fireman. If somebody comes onto my island and tries to steal my food, I can't call the police because I'm the police. And not only that, not only am I the police, I am the judge and the jury and if need be, the executioner. If I want to drive my car on my island, I've got to build a road first. I can't can't call the state and say, hey, could you build a road for me, please? See, if you want to not pay taxes, you have to live in a state of nature. But the problem is we don't live in a state of nature. We live in what's called a civil body politic. We live under a nation that has, has laws and rules. Every nation has them. Every person lives under this nation. So I live in a civil body politic and living in a civil body politic it has legitimate claims on me living in a civil. I get benefits of living in a civil body politic. I can call the police to come if someone's breaking in my house. If there's a fire, I call the fire department. I pay property taxes so the teachers can teach in school. See, there is a benefit of me living in a civil body politic. Now, if you don't want to pay taxes, great. Find a place that has a state of nature in this world. I'm not sure where you're going to find it, but then you don't have to worry about paying taxes. No one's forcing you to live in the United States or any nation for that matter. You are free to move wherever you would like. So if you don't want to pay taxes, live in the state of nature. But since we don't, we have to understand the kingdoms of this world have a legitimate claim upon us. They have a legitimate claim upon us. Since the coin then had the emperor's image on it, I mean, the emperor's image was stamped on the coin. His name was on it. It belonged to him. His image was on it. It belongs to him. So why not give back to him what is his? It it belongs to him. Give it to him. In fact, the emperor controlled the production of the coins and they were officially his property. So he stamped his image on that and said, these are mine. Now render back what is rightfully due, living in a civil body politic, that taxes, that maintains schools and roads and bridges and police forces and fire forces, that benefit I have of living in a civil body politic. Here's a, here's a picture of the denarius. Up above, the image of the emperor Tiberius is stamped on it. On the front of it is inscribed Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. He was called the son of God. Augustus was divine in their mind. He's the son of God. Okay? On the back side of it is a goddess, or some say maybe his wife, and it basically says highest priest. So, son of God on the front, highest priest on the back. His image is stamped on that coin. It belongs to him. Greg Bloomberg wrote Orthodox Jews would have considered both name and picture as blasphemous, the latter as a violation of the second commandment against idolatry, and the former because the coin of the Emperor Tiberius had inscribed on it the words, Divus ec Pontifex Maximus, God and High Priest. But what Jesus is saying is, listen, the emperor has stamped his image on that. Give back to him what is rightfully due to him. He has stamped his image there on that coin. See, believers, you and I, we have both political and a spiritual responsibility in this world. We we live in a dual citizenship. We have two citizenships. Of course, Paul says in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have dual citizenships. How do we manage living in this world of two kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God? How do we manage that? Jesus wants us to help us to understand where we place the emphasis. We give to the civil magistrates all that is due them so long as it does not interfere with the honor due to God. We must first honor God above all. If they're trying to usurp his honor, we will not give it to them. We give it to God first. That's the rules. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven requires that we pledge to to honor God with our ultimate obedience and commitment. And although the government is ordained by God, delegated by him, it cannot demand allegiance as a divine power. That's what Tiberius really was doing. That's the question. That was the issue. Acts 5.29, in the early church, we had this issue. Do we obey God or do we obey man? And Peter said, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. We don't give a demand allegiance as a divine power to, this, to the state. We never do that. We give allegiance to God and honor him first. As long as they don't violate his laws and his commandments, we'll honor them as well. In fact, the issue came up in the 1500s. Sinclair Ferguson wrote about it. He said there was a great conflict between the government and the church. Usually the government was trying to control the church for its own ends. Huh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay, it is an ancient biblical man that we must obey God rather than men. And a Scottish preacher named Andrew Melville immortalized this principle in a famous speech, believing that his king, that is James VI of Scotland or James I of England, was seeking to usurp the authority of God. He said to him, (laughs) say this to a king, all right? Here's what he says. Sir, we will always humbly reverence your majesty in public. But since we have this occasion to be with your majesty in private, we must discharge our duty or else be traitors, both to Christ and you. Therefore, sir, as diverse times I have told you, so now again, I must tell you, there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of the commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the king of the church, whose subject James the sixth is, and of whose kingdom he is not king, nor lord, nor head." We will yield to you, your place, and give you all due obedience. But again, I say, you are not the head of the church. You cannot give us that eternal life that we seek for even in this world, and you cannot deprive us of it. There's been this conflict between the church and the state. So governments do have a rightful place in our lives. It's a benefit of living in a civil body politic. They do give us a benefit. And a person can be in subjection to government and God at the same time. God first, obviously but we can be. It's possible. So our citizenship in a nation requires that we pay money for the services and the benefits we receive. Police force, fire department, teachers, roads, those things that we benefit from living in a civil body politic. We render that. We give them payment in return for something that which is rightfully due living in a civil body politic. Now, Listen, you and I can have a rigorous debate and we should have a rigorous debate how much taxation is reasonable. That is a good debate. We should should talk about double taxations. We should talk about taxation without representation. We should talk about all of those things. Those are all valid. We can discuss and debate the level, the reasonableness of what we're being taxed. Now let me just share, it is not reasonable now, okay? There should be a reasonable amount. We can debate that. We can debate that. But there is a legitimate claim of the kingdom of this world on my life. It's a legitimate claim. A reasonable taxation, question mark. A legitimate function of governments. Even totalitarian reigns. See, God's sovereignty must be acknowledged by human governments, but human governments also have a legitimate authority, and it's delegated by God. It's not their authority. He gives it to them. It's not in an, they're not like their kings that have the sovereignty in themselves. God grants this authority to them fact, in Romans chapter 13, at the end of that section dealing with civil authorities, he said this, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Again, we can debate the level of it and the reasonableness of it, but we have to say the kingdoms of this world have a legitimate claim upon us. They have a legitimate claim upon us. That's why the image of that coin was stamped with Tiberius. He was the emperor. It was his coin. It belonged belonged to him. We were to give back to him that which was his, rightfully his, is the idea. See, the Pharisees want to debate what should be given to Caesar, but here really is the crux of the matter. Jesus is highlighting the refusal to give God his due. That's the key to this text right here. It's not about taxes. Not at all about taxes. The Pharisees, as galling as it was, did pay the poll tax they gave to Caesar his due, but they had disregarded the claims of God upon their lives. Their hearts were not in tune with him. How many times did Jesus offer them and their hearts were so far away from him? Their hearts were not in tune with the original purpose God had intended for humanity. That's what the, wicked, that's what the parable of the wicked tenants is all about. You have failed in this. You're not doing your purpose. Your original intent is gone. So what is Jesus saying in this text? Again, it's not about taxes. What is he saying in this text? The image of Caesar is stamped on the coin. Render to him what is due. But mankind is stamped with the image of God. Render to him what is due. God has taken him and he has placed on us his image. We are made in his image and light. He has placed his stamp upon us. We ought to give back to him what is due to him. That's what Jesus is trying to, he's calling their hearts to him. He's not talking about taxes. He's talking about giving to God what is rightfully his, what is due to him. Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The word likeness is interesting because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, the word for likeness is the same word Jesus used and says Whose likeness is on this coin? It's the same word. What's he saying? Well, the emperor put his likeness on that coin, which means we render back to the emperor that which is rightfully due to him. God has put his image on us. We are to give back to him what is rightfully due to him and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. God placed his stamp upon us. He said, you're mine. I have created you. I am your creator and you are my creature. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God has placed his stamp upon us. He rightfully deserves what we give to him, his due. Because see, God's claim on his children is all-inclusive. It's all-inclusive. There's nothing left out from what we should give to him, our due, our our allegiance, our loyalty, what we give to him, what we render to him, that which is rightfully due to him. Believers must render to God our very selves and obedience and service, which will in time touch all that we own. He has placed his stamp upon us. It's not about taxes, it's not about a denarius, it's about the image of God placed upon mankind and how man has gone away from its original intent, his purpose, and that is to love God and enjoy him forever. We have missed our purpose because we have not seen that God has stamped on us his image. We belong to him. Even if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are his creature. He is the creator. We owe him as creator. And if you do know him as your savior, what more we owe him our lives because he has saved us. My life verse, verses, I should say 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. The precious blood of the savior, you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Sure, Caesar can have his petty tax. Sure, if only a person renders to God his just due. Verse 21, enlighten the Reformation doctrine of differing spheres of authority. Abraham Kuyper wrote about this, differing spheres of authority. Government has a sphere of authority. The church has a sphere, of differing spheres of authority. And prove foundational for the American constitutional separation of church and state. Now, let me just briefly tell you what that means. Separation of church and state does not mean that the church can't say anything to the state. That's not really what it says. The idea of separation of church and state is simply this. The state, the government has no right to tell the church how many songs they should sing, what their order of service is, what they preach, or if they should meet together. That's what the first amendment is all about. Not the separation of church. It, when Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists, they were concerned that the federal government was going to tell them how to run their church. And Jefferson said, don't worry. There is a separation of church and state. We will never come to you as a federal government and tell you how to run your church. That was the intent. You can see how it's flipped around today, right? So both God and human government deserve allegiance, each in its rightful sphere of influence. So he answers and the people are marveled. That's why. Wow. Seth, I can't believe that. The evil test is thwarted. He answers well. Jesus passed the test. The Passover lamb is pure. Remember, we talked about last week in the what's called the triumphal entry, the royal entry, he presented himself as king, but he also presented himself as the sacrifice, the Passover. So now we're seeing the Passover being tested. Is it pure? Is it the right sacrifice? Here he's shown himself to be pure. The Passover lamb was to be examined. To be without blemish, he shows himself to be without blemish. See, only by worshiping God alone, him first, can a person obey Caesar without becoming his slave. We must obey God first. But we have to also admit the human governments or kingdoms of this world make a legitimate claim upon us. Jesus has shown clearly that he is the one who teaches the way of God in truth. Exactly what they were mocking him in flattery about. He is the one who teaches the way of God in truth. So if the kingdoms of this world can make a legitimate claim upon us, certainly God can more so. If they can make a claim upon us, certainly God, our creator who stamps his image upon us, certainly can make claims upon our lives. In fact, I love Isaiah 43. At the end of that verse, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You are mine. What we give to him, his rightful due, he deserves it. He has placed his image upon us. He has stamped us with his likeness. He says, this is your purpose in this world, is to love him and enjoy him forever. But we have forgotten, even in the midst of this, In the midst of this whole debate of taxes, Jesus' compassion and his grace and his mercy as he's looking at these men saying, would you just turn your heart to me? That's really what he's saying. He's not talking about taxes. Would you turn your heart to me? Your hearts are so far from me right now. Would you turn your hearts to me? Would you fulfill your original intent and purpose as a created being? Begs the question for us, have we rendered to God the things that are due his name? Are we holding back any area of our life saying, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not willing to give this yet to him? Have we rendered to him his rightful due, what he deserves? Are we holding stuff back? Have we not given everything to him? Or is there a section of our life saying, I'm going to hold on to this because I'm not, I, I don't want to give it up right now? It is our reasonable service to give him his due. We have been bought with a price. We belong to God that which was paid the price of our salvation, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb, our entire lives are rightfully due to God. That's the question today, not taxes. It's not about taxes. It's about are we given to God who has stamped his image upon us, that which is rightfully due his name? And only you can answer that for yourself. I have to answer it for myself. I know the right answer, And that's what I want. And I'm sure that's what you want too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text and we thank you for the, for the, for the teaching that Jesus gave us. It's this idea. We understand taxes. We, we, we live in this world. We get it. And there is a legitimate claim upon us. We can debate how, what's reasonable father and you know, but father, you have stamped your image upon us. We are yours by creation. And when you redeem us, we're yours by possession. You buy us back. You redeem us with the precious blood of your son. We are yours. We can now fulfill our original purpose and intention, and that is to love you and enjoy you forever. Oh, Father, please, I pray, may we daily render to you what is rightfully due due to your holy name. God, check our lives. Show us what we're holding back, what we won't give, that which is rightfully yours. Oh, Father, you deserve it, and we want to give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.